Amen. Greg, thank you for leading us this morning in worship and uh, in this uh, moment as well. Sam, thank you for being up there. Sam, by the way, built our house that we live in, so he's not altogether too bad of a guy. He built it all by himself. No one else helped him. He's an amazing guy, trust me. If he greets you long enough, maybe he'll build you a house too. I think he's, it's buy, build one, get one free, I think, week. Right, Sam? Well, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Good to have you guys with us. Really, I'm honored that you, you're here. Thank you for making time to, to be here this morning or to tune in. Uh, it's always an honor to be with you guys. Um, and I want to take you back to a particular day, July 25th of 2001. The place is Dallas, Texas, and it is hotter than it should be in Dallas at that time. And it is the date for the inducement of our first child to be born, all right? Now, um, this was scheduled because we had a little bit of trouble, and anyway, it worked out that this was scheduled where now Megan, who's, who's uh, gonna be 21, um, was born on July 25th, 2001. So here's the deal. I've never been through this before, all right? So I'm very nervous, as you can imagine. Don't you have a lot of empathy for me as the dad in this situation? There may have been someone else who may have been equally nervous, perhaps a little bit more. So Jen and I go in, and we start this process at Baylor Hospital in, in Dallas, Texas. Um, and as we're going through the morning, um, you know, she did an amazing job. Um, no, you know, for her, no epidural or pain medicine, just wanted to feel all the pain naturally. Anyway, amazing. Um, I think we played um, music in the background um, to try to calm everybody, I think. Is that right? Yeah. The nurses came in. They're like, boy, when we have a baby, we want to do it like this because everything was so calm. And anyway, as the morning went on and things got a little less calm, uh, like I was trying to play my role of, of helping and supporting. And somewhere along the line, like if you've been through this, if you haven't yet, that's okay. But if you've been through this, there are times in the, in that moment where there's tension, there's hard things that happen, and I'm holding her hand trying to um, help her because I learned in the, uh, what do they call that, the Lamaze class, that pressure travels faster than pain, if I'm not wrong about that. So I'm trying to squeeze her hand, I almost feel like I'm breaking it, I feel like she's almost breaking mine to try to help that, that pain. And um, I, I think I'm trying to say something to her like, it's gonna be okay, or we're gonna get through this, or keep breathing, whatever, and I get one of those looks like, <laughs> right? Like, and it was all like, in the moment, I'm like, you know, you're right. Like, what right do I have to tell you from my position that this is going to be okay? Right? You ever feel that way? <laughs> now, it was all in good fun, and it was, I mean, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. That's the wrong way to say it. It was all appropriate and, and good, and in context, I, I get it. But here's why I bring that up. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but as we, as we think about this Teach Us to Pray series that we're in, when, when we tackle this idea of prayer, I want to tackle it in a very adult way. And as adults, I'm going to be honest, there are times, if you've ever thought about prayer, or maybe why you don't pray, maybe like you think you should. Last week we established almost everybody in this room last week felt some layer of guilt and shame for not praying enough. Some of the reason I think we feel that way is because we ask questions about prayer that we don't always verbalize those questions, but we act on our assumptions. If you're back in this moment with me where I look at Jen and give her this advice, I'm like, what right do I have to tell you this? You know what? This is a lot of the times the way that we handle God with prayer. Here's what I mean. It's almost as if we say to God, God, will you help me with this? And you realize, well, <laughs> wait a minute. Don't you, like, know what I need before I ask it? Like, what position am I in to ask you for the thing that as a sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing God, you already know that I need? 
Let me put it clearer this way. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I don't think it at all likely that God requires the ill-informed and contradictory advice of us humans as to how to run the world. It's as almost as if we're in a room with God and he's the one actually going through all this stuff and we're standing there really with zero experience in the field being like, it's going to be all right. And you get a look like, what do you have to say about this? Like, you've never been through this. Like, well, yeah, but let me give you some advice. <laughs> what advice am I going to give to God when I pray to him? If I ask him, hey, God, will you help me through this relationship that's broken right now? Don't you think that he already knows that the relationship is broken right now? If I ask him, God, I don't know if I can have enough money to, to make ends meet this month, don't you think an all-knowing God already knows that you don't have enough money to make it through the end of the month? If you pray and say, God, I think I'm struggling with my identity and my self-confidence, don't you think that an all-knowing, all-present Heavenly Father is already sitting with you in that already there, already knows that you're struggling with that? Why are you asking him? And then further, what advice are you going to give to him? God, here's how I think you should solve it. Would you mind bringing that girl back into my life? Because that would be awesome. Would you mind getting me another job? Because that would be great. I mean, really, are we not talking to the God who knows all, is all-powerful, who sees all, who gets it all? Lewis goes on to put it this way. He says, if he is all-wise, doesn't he already know what is best? And if he is all-good, won't he do it, whether we pray or not? Now, before you think that I'm trying to tear apart Christianity brick by brick, or tear apart prayer brick by brick. I'm not. But I am pushing on something that sometimes we don't always ask, but we live out. We often don't think prayer is valuable because God's either going to do what he's going to do or he's not. What role do I play in it anyway? Or to put it another way, the question for the morning is this, why pray if God already knows what we need, particularly from our position? Why give advice to somebody who has so much more experience, so much more strength, so much more insight than we will ever, ever have. Why pray if God already knows what we need? So let's tackle that question. And we're gonna tackle it one more, one more way here as Lewis is playing, C.S. Lewis, I wanna give you one more quote on C.S. Lewis. He's playing devil's advocate when he puts it this way. He says, the thing you ask for in prayer is either good or it is not. And if it is, then a good and wise God will do it anyway. And if it's not, then he won't. In neither case can your prayer make any difference. He's playing devil's advocate. He doesn't actually believe that. But that's the argument against prayer. Now, you may not have put it that way. I may not have put it that way. But I would argue that a lot of us have felt this way. Like, I'm not sure it's worth praying. I've been praying for this for a long time. The relationship hasn't healed. The cancer isn't going away. The finances aren't changing. My future hopes and dreams aren't adjusting. God knows what I need, or he doesn't care. Therefore, whatever. I'm just going to kind of back off and let God handle it. I want to address this issue um, as we come to this thing, teach us to pray. Because God is actually inviting us to pray, but it seems really contradictory. Why would a God who knows all and sees all and can do all invite us to pray? Why would he do that? To get there, I want to tell you about Johnny and his grandma, okay? I want you to think with me for a minute of a grandmother who's going to be babysitting little Johnny, little two-year-old. Let's make Johnny two years old. If you want to make him three, I'm okay with that too, all right? So we get little Johnny comes over for the day to watch. Um, grandma's going to watch him. Now, grandma cares a lot about little Johnny and has a full day planned for him. So Johnny comes over and, 
And grandma knows that Johnny loves the dog. That's the first thing you gotta do is greet the dog. And you greet the dog, and then you maybe have a fish, you greet the fish, you go in and take your shoes off, some over here, and you just start playing around the house or the old toys that grandma has. Now, grandma knows this, that little Johnny likes um, the petting zoo. And so she's already lined it up that they're gonna go to the petting zoo, and that's part of the schedule. They're, they go to the petting zoo, and then when they're done with the petting zoo, she knows that Johnny likes Chick-fil-A. What kid doesn't like Chick-fil-A? So they go to Chick-fil-A. Judy knows Johnny's gonna wanna play in the, um, the, uh, the germ swamp, which is the playground set there at Chick-fil-A, and they go in there and they do that. And then after that, you know, they come home. They have a little bit of downtime to do the coloring thing. They need a little bit of reading because Johnny's kind of amped up. They need to kind of settle some things and then they have dinner. And then we change into PJs later in the evening and fall asleep on the couch watching a Disney movie. All right, isn't that wonderful? And everything is happily ever after. Replay this day quick with me from this perspective now. Um, how much of what is going to happen does grandma already know? When grandma is planning the day and anticipating little Johnny's interaction with her, she already knows walking in that Johnny likes the dog. And it's not a surprise to her that he's gravitating toward the dog. She also knows because of the books that she chooses to read and the way that she hears Johnny talk and the fact that the last time they went to the petting zoo, she, he absolutely loved it. He already knows, she already knows that they're gonna go to the petting zoo, but somewhere around 9.30, he asked, Grammy, can we go to the petting zoo? Absolutely, we're gonna go. But you know, frankly, I already knew we were gonna go because that's what I was planning. And we go there and she goes there and asks him there. Now she knows around 11 o'clock or whatever, she knows that he's already starting to get hungry, but he's so excited about being here, he doesn't realize he's getting hungry, he gets in the car and then he asks, can we go to Chick-fil-A? Well, sure, but we're already going to Chick-fil-A because I know, know what you need. I mean, she already was anticipating that because she knows that sometimes that's the way little kids are. Then the afternoon, we need a little downtime. We change into our PJs afterwards because she knows that this is, this, this is the movie he likes and he's gonna fall asleep, that's why we're getting into the PJs. Now, all along the way, she has allowed little Johnny to ask her questions and to ask for things. She has the day planned, and generally the day works out the way that she may have planned, but she also gives Johnny the freedom to ask her things, and it's right and good to do that. Because Johnny might say, hey, can we go to Chick-fil-A? And when he does, here's what she is giving to Johnny. All right, she is giving Johnny, Johnny was given, I'm gonna put it this way, the dignity of responsibility. This is a very human need. She is giving Johnny the chance to speak into his day, even if much of what he was going to ask for, she already knew that he needed or wanted. But the fact that he gets to participate in his day by asking for things that she, in her wisdom, already knew he wanted or needed, doesn't take away from the fact that he now has what we call the dignity of responsibility. This is a human need. When we help people and serve people, you may have read some of those books, uh, Toxic Charity, um, or Helping Without Hurting, basically. The idea of how do we help and support people without taking away their dignity, the dignity of responsibility. In a way, I would argue this is what prayer is for us. When God invites us to pray, and he asks us to pray, he's giving us the dignity of responsibility to participate in our day today. Right. Put it back, let me put it this way, that God allows us to be involved in flawed ways and in, in a whole host of things that he could do on his own. Grammy could, in that day with Johnny, never give him a choice, never even invite him to participate in the day. She could run the whole day and truthfully, 
Johnny might get everything that he was going to get anyway. He was going to go to the petting zoo, he was going to get Chick-fil-A, he was going to get to pet the dog, he was going to color, and he was going to get to watch that Disney movie. But when he asks for it, when he asks for it, he now has the, dig the dignity of responsibility, of being able to learn to recognize, I play a part in this day. And indeed, he does. Now imagine for a minute if this didn't work at all. See, if this argument that says, if we, um, if God already knows what he's going to do for us, therefore I don't need to pray, if that logic is true, then it applies to everything else. Meaning, if God already knows what I need for work, I don't need to go to work. If God already knows what my relationship needs are, I don't need to work on the relationship. If God already knows how I should parent my kids, I don't need to actively parent them. If God knows my future, I don't need to plan for it myself. I just need to let him do what he's going to do. We don't actually live that way, do we? I don't live that way. You don't live that way. God knows you need a paycheck, right? How many of us sit at home and be like, God, I'm going to stay at home. You go ahead and deliver that paycheck for me. If you're doing that, you're not getting the paycheck. We don't live that way. Why do we live that way with prayer then? You see, here's the way that this works, that we have the dignity of responsibility in two ways, in work and in prayer. If you break life up this way. In work, here's what this means, that I get to have what we call discretionary power, meaning work is, work is ruthless. I'll put it this way. Work is not grace-filled. If I don't go to work, I don't get a paycheck, right? When my yard grows and my grass grows, if I don't work on cutting that, it continues to grow. It doesn't say, that's fine, take a day off, I'm not going to grow. You get what you get from work, and what you don't put into work, you don't get. If you have high ambitions of being someone who succeeds or excels or whatever at work, that may be what you get. If your ambitions are really low, then you're going to get really low results. The way that we work, we have power. We have power to decide, am I going to get up? Am I going to be faithful? Am I going to work on my stuff? Am I going to get myself there? Am I going to do it? We have power that way. We do, right? With prayer, God has discretionary power. God is the one who's going to say, you know what, thanks for asking about that. Let me think about that one. Thanks for asking about that. The answer is no right now. The answer is yes right now. The answer is partially. Thank you for asking, but I'm going to retain control. There's a dignity of responsibility. God gives us the opportunity to both work and pray to participate in our world. And it isn't because, just because God knows what we need doesn't mean that I get to push back and say, I don't want to be actively involved in this world. In fact, because God cares so much about it and is so present with us, he invites us to say, you know what, here's how I want you to work. I want, you to, I want this to work by you going to work, by you working, and by you praying. These are ways that I can give you, if I will, the dignity of responsibility. Now, where we are this morning in our series, okay, where we are, the reason I bring all of this up is because I think there are times when I'll push back from prayer, and maybe you will too, because it seems like God kind of has this under control. Like, hmm, he's going to do what he's going to do. What part can I possibly play? In it. And God is giving us, I believe, the dignity of responsibility to say, you know what, there's some things you can do to work, but if you want some other things, <laughs> pray and let me work. And in this world, I would argue that prayer has more power than my work if God is the one with the discretionary power. Now, what God invites us to do, 
And I want to turn you to, invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. But what God invites us to do is he invites us to pray for something very particular. And it's a big idea, and it can seem contradictory at times. But I want to invite you to turn to our section of Scripture that we're in, Matthew chapter 6. You can turn to the right two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a uh, chair Bible now and a chair near you. Um, you can grab that, um, and we'll look into Matthew chapter 6. We're only going to look at verse 10 here this morning. But in here, we're going to see what Jesus invites us to pray for. And there's some context here, by the way, that I just want to read beginning at verse 8. Here Jesus says in verse 8, Do not be like them, that is the hypocrites or the religious people, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, this is what we covered last week, He said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then verse 10, where we are today, He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What I want to look at here in verse 10 is this idea that Jesus is inviting you and inviting me to pray for, to ask for his kingdom to come here on this earth. In other words, it's a very specific request. He wants you and wants me to participate in, even in our flawed ways of inviting his kingdom to come. It's, it's strange to me because I would think, and sometimes I think, God, if you want your kingdom to come, like you know the best ways to do that. Why do you need me praying for that? And yet, he gives me the dignity of responsibility to say, I want you, in all of your flawed ways, to be involved in this. I want you to be involved in bringing the kingdom of God to this world. It's crazy, actually, when I think about it. Now, here's what this means, just theologically real quick. The kingdom of God is a rich concept going all the way back in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham, Moses, David, key figures in the Old Testament who made, God made covenants with them. These covenants were foundations of how the nation of Israel and those people related to God. Foundationally, it was this idea that God is going to bless with giving the people of Israel land, a place to be seed, if you will, that is people who would grow um, uh, in faith generations and generations to come, and then a blessing that God would give them a spiritual blessing in relating to him. Each covenant added a little bit of something to that picture. In Moses, God gave the Ten Commandments, you may be familiar with that. God gave some laws and regulations for how to live and how to do things in a way that would be appropriate to the covenant community. With David, God gave this promise that there's always going to be a descendant of David um, who will sit on the throne of Israel. Uh, kind of a, a, almost a Messiah type, a king-like figure, someone who would rule over all. And in each of these covenants, it was this idea that the kingdom of God would be a present system, if you will, that would oversee and bring blessing and provide a context for blessing and privilege for the people of God that could be a blessing for other people. It wasn't just theoretical. It wasn't just philosophical. Just we sit around and think, oh, isn't it nice that God is close? It also was uh, political, economical. It was um, cultural. It was very uh, personal laws, regulations, ways of doing business, ways of redeeming um, the poor and the lost and helping and serve with one another. It was, very, it was a full embodied system. The kingdom of God, I would say, is not yet fully in place. So when we think about the kingdom of God now coming, when Jesus now here in Matthew chapter 6 says, I want you to pray that my kingdom will come. 
What does that mean? And I just want to outline a couple things that I think this prayer means. When Jesus says, here, I want your kingdom to come. The first thing I think that I see, I'm just going to put it this way. I see this as a prayer of yearning, a prayer of yearning, meaning this, that if I can put it this way, it, it's, the cry, um, it's the cry of really all of us who have ever felt like the world is not yet what it should be. It's the cry of the mom who grieves the pain that her child is going through. It's the cry of the, a child who grieves the experience that they have just gone through. It's the cry of our local community, our neighbors just to our west here, the Conestoga Valley community. The grief of the loss of a few teenagers in the past couple weeks, tragic loss. And the pain and hurt that, that causes for friends, for classmates, for family, the sense that there must be more. Could this not have been avoided? It's a yearning for a peace and a settledness. It's the yearning that I hear and I see when people get the diagnosis of cancer and the fear that cuts through you hard, wishing that more could be, wishing that things could be right. It's the cry of the wife who's in a relationship with her husband and it's abusive and she's silent and doesn't feel free to speak and can't get words to it and just wishes that she could be heard and seen. It's the cry of the kingdom come that the righteous reign of God would come and bear on my situation. That the hope that I have for a future could be seen. That somehow God in all of his truth and all of his mercy and kindness could bring that kingdom to me now. That's what we yearn for. It's a prayer of yearning. And what Jesus asks for when he says, I want you to pray for the kingdom to come, it puts us in a position where it captivates our imagination. It gives us something to meditate on come Monday morning, going to work. Not just that I can have a good day at work and I can get through it and not make too many people angry at me. Maybe I can, you know, get a raise at some point and maybe I can kind of middle around a little bit. The kingdom come prayer is a prayer that's supposed to captivate our imagination. To say the people that I work with, I know that she is hurting. I know that he is lonely and has no one to talk to right now. I know that their family is struggling, and I know that at the end of the day that there are people who are disconnected both from God and from this world and from themselves. And that the kingdom of God may come, and may it come through me if I have the dignity of responsibility. That I can pray, God, that you will bring the kingdom, but I can also begin to pray, God, help me to work and bring the kingdom. The kingdom of God is this prayer that I can have my imagination renewed with this picture of this is what truth looks like in this situation. I no longer have to sit in lies or half-truths. Your real self, not your ideal self, could be made known in this kingdom. People could see you and know you and hear you, maybe, maybe for the first time. And it's this picture of God, let the kingdom come down on me. This yearning, this deep cry of the soul that I think we all can understand and resonate with. Jesus begins there, he's like, I want you to pray this way. And some of us sit there and say, well, God, if you're going to do it, do it anyway. He's like, I'm going to give you in all of your flawed ways the dignity of responsibility of working for this, but also praying. I want to invite you into this thing. So I see it as a prayer of yearning. I also see it this way. I see it as a subversive prayer, if I can put it that way. Here's what I mean by that. There are times, and I don't know about you, um, times I would rather lash out at people than forgive them. There are times that I would rather build, if I put it this way, build my kingdom 
than build gods. There are times when I would rather respond in situations that have no thought of what God might want me to do than have every thought of how I just feel like getting this out. I don't know how you spend your free time, but I like to spend some of my free time imagining what our future could look like personally within our family. I imagine, you know, 5, 10, 20 years out, then I kind of get lost. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's kind of fun anyway. Kind of imagine a picture of what could be. In that way, you can put it this way, I'm doing a little bit of Tim kingdom building in my mind. Here's my future. Here's the kingdom, the little kingdom that I want to create, right? I mean, here's, here's what I'll put around it. Why do I do that? Why do you do that, maybe? Because I want, maybe you want safety, control, peace. I want to know that a future world that I'm creating is one that I can live in and the people that I love can live in, in as strong and safe a way as possible. In other words, I'm building my little kingdom, okay? Now, sometimes if you get in the way of that, that might upset me. If I get in the way of yours, then I might upset you. And when Jesus invites me to pray that God's kingdom come, it helps me and it hurts me at the same time. Because I have to say, God, don't just let me get wrapped up in what my future vision of my kingdom will look like. But let me pray that your kingdom will come, which means that I don't always get to be as mad at you as I want. I don't always get to use my money the way I want to use my money. I don't always get to envision the future of my business the way I will do it by default. I don't always get to envision my future career the way that I might want to do it on my own. God, let your kingdom come through me. Let the imagination of my soul be captivated by what the kingdom of God looks like not just what my kingdom looks like. It's a subversive prayer. It, it goes against the kingdoms of this world and even the kingdom of my heart sometimes. Finally, I'll say this. It's a prayer that's already and not yet here. It's a prayer that's already and not yet here. The kingdom of God is already here. It's already here, and I would say in a spiritual way, that Christ himself is sitting on the throne in heaven, that he is in charge at the broadest of levels of all that is allowed and goes on in this world, including pain and struggle. He's still Christ or Lord overall is what I believe. At the same time, the kingdom of God is not yet here in that its fullest realization is not yet fully realized, not yet physically present in all of its ways that it could be. And so it is this prayer that says there are parts of this spiritual relationship I have with God where I sense his mercy, I feel his redemption and forgiveness. Those are things that are already here, but I have yet to realize it in its fullness. It's this prayer of yearning, this subversive prayer, this prayer that realizes we have parts but not all here quite yet. And it's this prayer that says, God, will you allow your kingdom to come through me? This past week I had the chance to uh, meet with um, one of the leaders down at Intercourse Library. And as I was down there touring the library and talking with her about uh, some of the goals we have in this community for um, the third graders in this community, as they finish third grade, we only have 62% of our current third graders reading at grade level by the time they finish. Our hope is, I, I would say as a Christian, for me, that's not good enough. Um, as, as a common good concern, we want to move that forward because there's a whole lot of things that track in the wrong direction when we see that. We want to be involved in moving that number from 62 to 90% in five years. As I was talking to her about that, 
at the end of the conversation, I walked in about an hour later, I walked out. I can't tell you, I don't have the words quite to tell you, the lift on her countenance. <laughs> when, she, when we're walking out and she's like, this was so good. This was so good. Thank you for coming to talk to me. Now, here's what I'm doing. All that I'm doing is having, I'm going to put it in this way, I'm having a kingdom conversation with her. Because what I believe is that the kingdom of God shows up where brokenness, where injustice, where all that is wrong and false is in existence, where the kingdom of God comes in and provides hope and redemption and truth, even in a common good way. It brings a lift to your soul. It brings a lift to your heart. It brings a lift to your vision to say, this is what this looks like. Yeah. Like, God cares that our children can read. In Jeremiah 29, the nation of Israel was in captivity. Um, they were stuck. They were in Babylon, and they were asked there by God to say, you know what, while you're stuck in this in-between stage where you already have my presence promised, but you're not yet where you should be, while you're stuck in this place, what I want you to do, I want you to plant gardens. I want you to build homes. I want you to settle down. I want you to marry. I want you to do and establish yourself in your community as people who are going to bring the kingdom of God to bear where you are. And that's, that's what we try to do. And this is why when Jesus says, pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it's an invitation to be responsible, not only in work, but also in prayer. And so let me ask the question again when I put it this way. Why pray if God knows what we need? God knows that these third graders need to read, right? God knows that our future... He knows what our future needs to be better than we do. Why pray at all? And here's what I'll say again. For me, the reason is this, because God has given us the dignity of responsibility by inviting us to be a part of this world through work and prayer. By work, you and I get to go to work. Maybe you get a paycheck for it. Maybe you're a mom or a grandma or a grandpa or a granddad or, or dad who doesn't get a paycheck, but you still go to work if you know what I'm saying. The work of your hands, whatever it is, you go to work. And that work, may that work bring the kingdom of God to bear. The people who are hurt, lost, lonely around you will feel and sense the kindness, redemption, grace of God through you. That is kingdom work. But also through prayer. Because when we work, we get the results of our work. But when we pray, God has the discretionary power to decide how he's going to move. Why would we give up? what can be the most powerful way that this world can be changed because we think God already has it already in control. God has given you and he's given me the dignity of responsibility. He says, God, he says to us, Christ says, here's how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then pray, your kingdom come. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so this week, as you start your week, mom, dad, business leader, young adult, retiree, struggling with identity, health, whatever it may be. What if you were to pray, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come through me. Your kingdom come. That what is true, what is right, what is fair, what is just, what is kind, what is patient, what is faithful, may that come and help me to see and have the eyes to see it. Not just what I want, but your kingdom come through me. God's given you the dignity of responsibility and me too 
to make a whole mess of our lives and to bring a blessing to people, even in the mess that sometimes we create. Next week, I want to ask another question. I'm looking forward to that one because somewhere in the New Testament we read, if you ask anything in Jesus' name, he'll grant it to you, anything. Is that true? Let's talk about it next week. Let's pray. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning. We thank you for your word and this prayer, this idea of the kingdom coming and the challenge to pray, even though you will bring your kingdom as you will, even though you are good and you're all-knowing, you still invite us to participate in this world. And so I pray that we won't give up that responsibility and the dignity that comes with it the honor of being involved with you in your world. I pray that you'd help our imagination to be captured by what the kingdom can look like in our workplaces, in our homes, in our futures. Help us not to build just a kingdom around our best version of ourselves and our future, but to pray that it's your kingdom that will come. Your kingdom that will come to bring righteousness and mercy, truth, justice, faithfulness, the covenant faithfulness that you promised through Abraham, through Moses, through David. May that come even just in small part in the conversations that we have this week with the people around us. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who can help your kingdom come both through work and through prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Tim. I hope you were encouraged by that message this morning.